Hello, and welcome to Fortune's Wheelhouse, a podcast about esoterics and the tarot. I'm Susie Chang, and my co-host is Mel Moline. The podcast ended its run in 2021, but all Fortune's Wheelhouse episodes remain available for all tarot explorers to enjoy. And we'll be periodically updating the intro and the outro with news and offerings from your co-hosts. The big news for me right now is that my latest book, The Living Tarot, is now out. This is the book version of my online class, which is also called The Living Tarot. Whether you go for the book or the class or both, the idea here is to help you recognize how the images in the cards relate to your everyday, ordinary life. As you master that language of fluent metaphor, you'll enter into a deep, rich conversation with the world of symbol. And that conversation, I personally believe, is the key to re-enchanting your own life. If you're new to tarot, this is the book that will get you up and running. And if you're an experienced reader already, it's meant to help fill in any remaining gaps that you might or might not realize that you have. And if you buy the book, you can send me a copy of the receipt for a $22 discount off the cost of the online living tarot class. If you're in the online class, you get a monthly Zoom meeting with me and other students, feedback from me on the major assignments, and if you graduate, a one-question reading from me. Oh my God, guys, it's such a good deal. If you'd like to send me your receipt, you can do that at tsusanchang.com slash livingtarotbook. tsusanchang.com slash livingtarotbook. Now, here's what Mel's been up to. She's just rebuilt her tarotcart.com website, which has a new info page about Thoth-inspired decks and a blog feature with weekly tarot articles. She also has a new auction site for one-of-a-kind creations, out-of-print items, prints, and original art, and that's at tarotcart.auction. Mel's first deck, the Rosetta Tarot, is back in a new large edition. It's the same size as the large edition of the Tabula Mundi Tarot, if you're familiar with that, and it has vibrant borders with English titles and correspondence symbols, and the card backs are printed with metallic ink. That's available at tarotcart.com. Mel will also soon be launching a new, ceremonially rendered, talismanic tarot. The major arcana are based on their descriptions in Alistair Crowley's 777, and the minors are based on the magical images of the Deccans, also from 777. I don't know about you, but I'm very excited about Mel's new deck. For info about when the new tarot deck launches, and auction listings, and new tarot editions, and article links, and special sales, you can sign up for Mel's newsletter via the link at tarotcart.com. As for me, I've also just created a new thing I'd like to tell you about. You know the Nine of Swords in Rider-Waite-Smith? If you're like me, you may have noticed the beautiful blanket on the bed of the person having a nervous breakdown in that card. All my life, I've wanted that blanket, and recently, I created my own. It's got red roses, hand-drawn by me, and zodiacal glyphs on a blue patchwork background, and I made it while Mars was in the second decan of Gemini. If you're listening to this podcast, you'll know why that's important. You can purchase your very own Nine of Swords blanket at redbubble.com slash people slash tarotista slash shop. If you love Fortune's Wheelhouse, 
please consider supporting us on Patreon. Your monthly donations allow us to keep these episodes on the air for our many repeat listeners. And you also gain access to the archive of hundreds of posts and articles that we wrote for our original Patreon supporters. You can sign up for a one-time or recurring donation at www.patreon.com slash fortunes wheelhouse, thereby cementing your legacy as a superhero of the astral realm and earning our undying gratitude. Once again, that's patreon.com slash fortunes wheelhouse. And now... Here's this week's episode. All right. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Fortune's Wheelhouse numeric episode number seven, coronavirus edition. We are all at home quarantining. And in fact, um, Mel and I were going to meet to record in person, but thought the better of it. And I, I hope all of you listening at home are staying well during this difficult time. But we're glad we can be here with you in your ear holes and trying to explore the mysteries as we do each time you tune in. All right, so we're here to explore number seven. Number seven and number eight actually go together. So we will be recording them together, though you'll be getting them two weeks apart. For number seven, we are, of course, dealing with the four numeric minors that are sevens. So uh, the seven of wands, which is valor, the seven of cups, which is debauch or illusionary success, the Seven of Swords, which is Futility or Unstable Effort, and the Seven of Discs or Pentacles, which is Failure or Success Unfulfilled, Mel's least favorite card. <laughs> <laughs> and then... I say as of yet. Exactly. Unfulfilled as of yet, because I don't give up. Nevertheless, she persisted. Yes. Um, and then we have also the Majors, Major Arcana by Number and Reduced, which gives us the Chariot and the tower. So let's get started on some of the um, numeric associations of seven, I guess, which is unbelievable. It's huge. It's There's huge. so many. Yeah, seven's just such an interesting number. We have our seven planets traditionally, our seven days of the week, our seven yeah. notes, our seven it's colors. It's the last prime of our series in uh, mm -hmm. the numeric series. And it's like, yeah, the seven musical notes, the seven planets, I have a whole list of things, medals, the seven seals, the seven archangels, the seven orifices in your head, <laughs> <laughs> the seven chakras, the seven stages of life. Those are really interesting. Those are really interesting, uh, yeah. Seven years of bad luck when you break the mirror of Venus, because as we 
We'll be oh. discussing seven is the number associated with Venus, right. the seven gates of Inanna's descent, the seven rungs of the ladder of enlightenment. There's like all sorts of really cool things associated with seven. Mm-hmm. Seven hells and seven heavens. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You mentioned the seven ages of man, which I think is especially interesting. Yeah. Have you run across the thing where they sort of ascribe each stage to a planet? To a planet, yeah. Yeah, that's fascinating. So the moon is infancy, right? Yep. And uh, Mercury is childhood, and you know, where you're first a school kid, basically gaining knowledge. Mm-hmm. And then Venus is the age of love and youth, when you're a young... Um, young... Uh, person just blooming into puberty <laughs> i imagine <laughs> yes exactly and then the sun as well I, I i've seen it as manhood womanhood to adulthood i guess yeah you, could say. you know and they also kind of think of that as the stage of uh reproduction marriage and, reproduction. and also the, the the sun would be like the stage of self-sovereignty you know independence and yep. um agency and then mars as the age of your full strength which makes sense mm-hmm and then Jupiter, maturity and kind of having good judgment, I guess. Yep, that makes sense as the planet of law. Right. And then Saturn is old age. Wah, wah. Of course. <laughs> yeah. And, and there was something I read about, you know, these ages. And it, it kind of capped everything at 70 as like, that's the, that's the oldest yes. you want to be. <laughs> like, Bummer. Say if you're not 69, you know, which I'm not. Yes, like, yes, you know exactly. I, mean. like, I know like, what you mean. They, they didn't have a very optimistic um, outlook of life after 70. No, because people just didn't, you know, But now you learn. can become president, so whatever. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe we could just like say, okay, how about 91 and each stage is 13 years? <laughs> Except I think it's more like, you know, kind of like three decades of Saturn instead. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's what it seems like. Twenty-eight years of Saturn, if you make it. <laughs> oh, and the and then there's the uh, seven virtues and seven vices and the seven oh, right. Pleiades. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the seven sisters. Yeah, and I think one of the things that's it's virtues and vices. I was say, the virtues talk. and vices are really interesting in terms of the minors. Once mm-hmm. we start to talk about them, just because. You know, the seven minor cards are oftentimes something you need to defeat some defect, some personal weakness and, mm-hmm. and or some vice that you need to, to overcome in order to obtain victory. And you do that through mm. the virtues. Yes, I think that comes through particularly in Book of Thoughts since Crowley, you know, had that very low view of sevens, plus as the shadow decan for Knights or Kings. And, and, yeah, I think even... um Eliphas Levi in his Transcendental Magic somewhere I saw, he was actually talking about the Chariot, which is the Mm. major card that um, has to do with, you know, it's number seven. Yeah. And he he mentioned that as victories over the seven sins via the seven virtues, which I thought was interesting. interesting. Yeah, yeah. yeah, not to mention the seven uh, sephirot below the abyss, which we're constantly sort of grouping together, as opposed to the supernals. You know, one of the things that I'm sure you noticed in doing research for this is that a lot of the times when we think about seven, there's sort of like a division either into six and one or four and three. 
Yeah, four and three is usually what I see, mm-hmm. but six and one with the planets around the sun. Usually. Exactly. And seven is really interesting, too, because it's like they call it the unbegotten and unbegetting number. So like Venus itself, it has a little bit of association with, you know, virgins like Minerva mm-hmm. born from Zeus's head and, and stuff because it, it, it doesn't have any factors. You know yeah. What I mean? Yeah, it is just truly weird. Also, it has both mm -hmm. such positive and negative associations. Like, that's what I kept being struck by is like, it's the most perfect number. It's the most evil number. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that does seem to be the case. And I think it's because, well, one way to look at it is that the six, as we talked about, (laughs) represents harmony and balance. But. Yeah, I can never think about that phrase the same way. I know. It me up every time. I can't get over that catalog. Every time I, I, I just have to laugh because I just think it's hilarious. So, guys, if, you, if you're if you not sure why we're cracking up, just listen to the Sexy Six episode. But the six, you know, because it represents balance, you add one and it's like the movement out of balance or from balance, which... Right you know, really is a neutral characterization, but you can see how it could generate both virtue and vice. Yeah. And it's really interesting. I mean, we'll see this when we talk about the the paths that lead from the seventh Sephira and Netzach, that the one that mm-hmm. goes from six to seven is death. Yeah. Right? Yeah, that is That's super because you're, you're losing that, you're, you know, something is, you're losing that perfection something yes dying. yes exactly and there's even that phrase that we say i'm at sixes and sevens which is just a way of saying i'm really out of sorts <laughs> i'm yeah, really off balance and then the four plus three thing is so interesting too levi also said something about that he said that's why the number seven is sacred because it's composed of the triad and the tetrad which is you know like the three supernals and then the tetrad of tetragrammaton so because it's the three and four it's super sacred or something like that yeah yeah and you can also think of it as like the soul being the three plus the body which is four because it's made up of matter you know matter right. four elements yep. yeah or you can think of it as four being stability and three being motion and those mm-hmm. two in tension with each other mm-hmm. I, yeah that Good. reminds me i think what he said about the three and the four thing that the the triad and the tetrad tetrad mm-hmm. he mm-hmm. called it the soul served by nature so the soul is the three and the four elements of nature or something like that. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. The soul served by nature, yeah. Another yeah. cool thing I ran uh, across when I was you know, looking at this stuff is in astrology, there's a really minor aspect when you divide the circle of 360 by seven. It's hmm. the only aspect that creates an irrational number. Septile, of the course. Septile, of course. Duh. Yeah. And what is it supposed yeah. to represent? So, so it's fifty-one point four two eight five seven, et cetera, et cetera, into infinity degrees apart. Mm-hmm. And it's really interesting because what it seems to indicate in a chart is things that are very resonant with the themes that we're going to talk about with the qualities of Netzach, which are mm-hmm. uh, inspir- creative inspiration. Mm-hmm. Um, psychicness reality and unreality yeah yeah themes are gonna come up Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so i thought that was kind of cool it's not an aspect that you you tend to notice very much because it's so minor 
And right. such a weird number, you know? I wonder which astrologers, you know, used it. Is it a modern thing or is it more of a traditional thing? You know, I think a lot of people don't use many yeah. minor aspects at all, really, because For frankly, sure. there's enough to look at. Right. And then there's the, uh, we didn't talk about the yeah. Naples arrangement. Is it the points idea of bliss? I think yes. that is. Yes. And then, yeah. and then it says in parentheses, Ananda, which Ananda. is the Sanskrit or Buddhist word. It's the name of the Buddha's, like companion i guess but it's also a word that means joy or bliss yeah because we have the 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 eight is the points idea of thought and the and, nine and they is call the, that chit and then the the nine is the idea of being which is sat and it all goes together as such dananda yeah there's right, which yeah is there's own a thing mm-hmm. sanskrit saying i think sat ananda chit and it's all about the nature of reality Right, so the combination thought. of bliss and emotions with mind and with sat, which is like being being itself, or sometimes translated as truth. So it, it all has to do with these seven, eight, and nine, which are kind of part of a, a, a triad of personality on the tree of life. So they, they kind of all go together. Are. Yeah, or we can think of them also as the world of Yetzirah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So clearly, Curly picked up on that. As he was devising the Naples arrangement. Mm -hmm. You know, I think you've said before, oh, Crowley hates the sevens. But, you know, I think he says a lot of things that are negative about them. But I also see a lot of things that talk about how powerful they are. Yeah, I think that, you know, he liked to express himself forcefully. So when you read the passages on Seven in Book of Thought, it looks as though he takes this incredibly dim view of them. But at the same time, he does have other places where he sees the mysticism and the power of Seven. Mm -hmm. I wanted to um, point out something else I found in probably one of my favorite books, Seven, Seven, Mm -hmm. Seven, appropriately enough. It's another essay on number. Remember a few episodes back in the numeric series, we went through an essay on number that's in the appendix? Well, it's not that one. He actually has another essay on number in the beginning of 777 under the Gematria section. It was pretty interesting because for seven, this is what he said. He said, the septenary desire derived by three and four. There is, however, a secondary attribution making it the holiest and most perfect of numbers. That, that essay starts on page 27 if anyone wants to like do homework and read it. There's another there's another um, section a little bit up forward on page 43 where he says seven is a most evil number whose perfection is impossible to attack. The kind of inherent paradox of seven. Right. Yeah. And then if you go into the gematria part of the book where there's a lot of um, numbers broken down into different meanings and you go to the number, it's on page 49 and... You go to number 777. So it says useful in a similar way. It's talking about the previous number 741, which said useful only as a denial of unity, sometimes Mm. employed in the hope of tempting it from its lair. Useful chiefly as a denial of the unity, but sometimes Mm -hmm. employed in the hope of tempting it from its. So I guess, you know, that's very Venusian, right? It sure is. something from yeah. its lair. Can you um, say what edition you're using so people will be able to, you know, see if they have the same one oh, for page numbers? Edition. Let's see. Well, this one says it was first published in 1973, retitled in 77, first paper, paper edition 1986. And the publisher? Red Wheel Wiser. 
Okay. Is this the white cover or a different yep, one? white cover. Mm-hmm. White cover. Okay. All right. So that should help people find it. Anyway, so it starts out by saying useful in a similar way as 741. But then it says, mm-hmm. as affirming that the unity is the cliff off, but a dangerous tool, especially as it represents the flaming sword that drove man out of Eden. A burnt child dreads the fire. The devils also believe and tremble. Worse than useless unless you have it by the hilt. Mm. Also, 777 is the grand scale of seven. And this is useless to anyone who has not yet awakened the kundalini, the female magical soul. Note seven as the meeting place of three the mother and ten the daughter, whence Netzach is the woman. Married, but no more. The, I was going to point out that whole relationship between three and seven and ten as there the numbers go. of, you know, the sacred feminine. Well, we see seven and three constantly, right? Um, mm-hmm. as tied together, but also adding together three and seven and you get ten. So you get the mother, the, in a mm-hmm. sense, you could almost say mother, maid, and crone in those three. Yep. With Binah, the three as the mother, uh, as the, sorry, as the, well, as the crone, the you, you could say <laughs> you could do it either way, no. right? Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But certainly, ten Malkut as the daughter. But all of them are aspects of the goddess, the triple goddess. Absolutely and I, and I, fascinating. I was really also struck by the idea of seven as you know a, a component of the flaming sword. When he said, worse than useless unless you have it by the hilt. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So sevens are really negative, but they're very powerful. They're just hard to grasp. Yeah. And the other thing that's kind of interesting is that in tarot particularly, you know, we can see that sort of seven inflection through the seven by three in the major arcana with, you know, the, the fool set aside. Right. So you have seven and seven and seven, and then the 22nd one, zero or 22 is the fool. And that's something, you know, it was just at Northwest Tarot Symposium. And, and I was talking to Rachel Pollock a lot about that idea. You use the, the connections between the majors that are uh, seven apart, like, for example, the Wheel of Fortune and the Star or the Chariot and Temperance to mm. um, draw connections between those interpretationally, which is fascinating. Yeah. And the other thing that's interesting in tarot specifically, I think, is the seven as counterpoint to the five. Cause, you know, Kabbalistically, we're going to talk about seven as counterpoint to eight a lot, but it's also kind of, you know, the five and the seven both look towards the six in their own way. Yeah. Whereas the five kind of looks ahead to it and literally strives for it. And the seven kind of looks back and either learns or tries to hold on to the balance of the six. It's interesting to look at five, six, and seven together in tarot always. As well as to look at seven and eight in their relationship. And yeah, I mean, we, I guess when we talk about the paths that connect to Netzach, we'll get more into that though. Yeah. It's true of every single of these but seven is said to be you know negative towards the preceding sephiro and positive mm-hmm. to the the following ones and that's really interesting when we when we look at the majors that are on the paths that come to seven and leave from seven in fact we should go on to kabbalah soon but i didn't really do any research on gods and goddesses of seven but obviously babylon yep um, Obviously, I've got a few. I mean, yeah, um, let's Hathor. hear them. 
Mm-hmm. So Hathor, Aphrodite, Nike, Minerva, Freya were a couple that uh, came up. Mm-hmm. Obviously, Inanna and Ishtar, mm. um, goddesses as well. And yes. as far as, as its uh, male beings go, Orpheus. Yes, that's really interesting because we often hear seven contrasted with eight as seven being the Orphic path and eight being the Hermetic path. Mm. That's a Kabbalistic thing. Apart from Orpheus, pretty much every name you mentioned is, you know, what, an aspect of the feminine divine. <laughs> yeah, that, I mean, there's so many yeah. more that we yeah. can put here. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just, that's just a glimpse, really. All right, shall we talk a little bit about the tree? Sure. Uh, do you want to do vices and virtues and correspondences yeah. Yeah, first we sh- and then go uh, into the path? Yeah, let's do, all, let's do all that. because. And I also want to just talk about the Sephira and Netzach a bit because we're going to be talking about Netzach and Hod together as well because they really are they're different aspects of each other. Yeah, they are known as the um, – well, they're both known as armies or hosts in a way. Um, mm-hmm. Isn't the, the names of – uh, the correspondence names of each Sephira are kind of versions of each other, right? It's like Jehovah Tzabaoth for, um, for Netzach. Sounds and, right. And Elohim Tzabaoth for, yes. um, for Hod. And both of those mean like God of armies, but why armies, right? And the path between them is, of course. Yes, the tower, is the war. tower, <laughs> war, Mars, Lord of armies. But the armies that they're talking about, I've, I've gotten really interested in this. Um, there's a hermetic Kabbalist named Colin Lowe. Do you have his book? It's, uh, I don't uh, think so. I don't have it either. It's called Hermetic Kabbalah, but it's, it's, I came across an article of his on, uh, Caduceus, which is the hermetic, uh, like library site. It's amazing. And it was talking a little bit about in hermetic Kabbalah about the idea of armies as being the plurality of consciousness that you get both in Netzach and in Hod, in the sense that like, you know, if oh. you think of, you know, Netzach as like all those conflicting emotions that are constantly arising That's and dying, really isn't it? And in Hod, the kind of like, you know, the, the way the thoughts differentiate and multiply, you can think about the armies of Netzach almost as being like armies of wants and desires. Exactly. You know, warring with each thinking. other. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Another thing about the two of them is that they are sometimes known as spheres of prophecy. You know, that's super interesting because Netzach is kind of like the ecstatic vision, you know, the, the fiery yep. inspiration visions yep. of and God. And that fits with that septile aspect too. Exactly. Irrational, you know, often confused with madness, that kind of thing. Whereas Hode... Artistic inspiration itself, which mm-hmm. has a lot to do with the seven Netzach. Exactly. And whereas Hode is the is the prophecy side of it that is divination, what we do, you know, reading symbols and languages and sort of it's it's a it's a more recipient kind of side of it where you are trying to interpret. I think div- of divination as using both. You're you're putting words towards intuition, things that have to do with your intuition. Yeah. So it involves yeah. both of those um, aspects of ourselves. It does. It does. Everything's so mixed down here, so low on the tree too. But yeah, and the sort of difference between those, the words Netzach and Hod are, you know, the Netzach has this quality that besides being victory, 
It has elements of eternity, perfection, faith, truth, those things that bring you outside of yourself, and which is mm. almost a definition of six plus one, right? <laughs> Going outside of the yeah. integrated self. I saw to- a few other titles besides the traditional like victory and, you know, firmness and valor and triumph. Um, yeah. I yeah. also saw Glamour. Which yes, I love yeah, for that Venus. makes sense. And uh, the Awakener, which is interesting in light of, you know, the whole Kundalini aspect of things. There was something about, it, it's not exactly a title, but about how it's a fiery Sephira. If you do any form of art, you know that there's a certain amount of inertia to overcome. Yes, you know? <laughs> right. And it's that fiery spark of inspiration that allows you to overcome that inertia that you know, it gives you that delight in creation. Right, because you could just as well not do it. (laughs) Exactly. It's a lot easier not to do it in most cases. And it's almost like you have to find a way to tend the fire to to grow it. The virtue is unselfishness, right? Yep. And the vice is selfishness, which... Or, no, unchastity or lust. Oh, okay. I've seen it in a different way as well. Um, this was this was a different site. But yeah, which is kind of similar, actually, in the sense that unselfishness is recognizing that everybody else has wants and needs, <laughs> whereas unchastity or lust could be simply focusing on your own. Yeah. Well, as you were, you've said before that vices really are just an imbalance of the virtue. Right. You know, applied towards egotistical or egoistic. Yeah. You can look at unchastity as, you know, instead of just being a sexual thing as being more like an impurity where self unselfishness is really a purity. Mm. And the vision is of beauty triumphant, which ties into that whole idea of it being the sphere of art, yep. knowing beauty and truth on an aesthetic level. Where did I run across, was it in Guarded of Pomegranates, the illusion of Netzach being projection, like psychological projection, uh, projecting your emotions onto others? A lot to do with polarity and projections, um, relationships. The, yeah, it's like the mirror of Venus, but distorted. Mm-hmm. Let's see, what else is associated with... Nets uh, correspondence so the, the cliff off were uh, mm-hmm. listed as ravens of dispersion, Ooh. which is interesting in terms of the whole like armies and hosts and war and what happens after victory, you know? Yeah, yeah. And ravens versus doves. Right. Yeah, there's a whole yeah. lot of birds and, oh, this is funny. Oh, there's a whole lot of, you know, birds listed, you know, sparrows and swans and ravens and... Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I forget what else. But this is kind of one of these things that gets Crowley labeled as a misogynist because what he said was <laughs> that, the, that, you know, birds are associated with Venus because that song devoid of any intellectual. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, I think. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's sort of like. <laughs> I think that like but I if guess we... I can see that you know because we're trying to contrast it with Hode which is exactly. the intellectual sphere like, so I can give him a little bit of a pass exactly if you replace intellectual for like intellectualizing you know like <laughs> yeah you know the, the the action of the mind the super you know rationalizing side of the mind yeah it's true that birdsong is devoid of that kind of very human over analytical thing that we do yeah that's that's because we start the days of creation counting uh, from chesed that makes the fourth day 
uh, of creation associated with the seventh sphere. So that's the day that the sun and the moon, the lights were created. Ah. So I have written down here rose girdle lamp, which sounds like Venus and weapon robe, splendor and glory. So I'm not sure which one's the actual weapon. Lamp and girdle are for Venus. Uh, Venus as seven. Okay. Not Venus as empress, which is a different, you know, different. Yeah. Probably yeah. similar. But, uh, you know, if you're looking at Netzach, it's the lamp and girdle. Right. The lamp. It was the idea. What I was reading about it was that it was the idea that love, just like artistic inspiration, must somehow be enkindled. And mm. through the action of light and bringing light to things by the That's magician or the practitioner. And the girdle is like the vision of beauty triumphant. It's beauty that can bind and fascinate. Right. And part of what makes it alluring is the fact that it conceals, you know, mm-hmm. so I think there are these themes of, you know, light and darkness of what's hidden and what's revealed um, in all of these themes, really. Also, the uh, archangel of Netzach is Haniel or Haniel. I don't know a ton about Haniel other than I remember at one point, and I've talked about this before on the show, participating in a Haniel working, which was to incubate lucid or prophetic dreams, which seems very much of this sphere. Yeah, I could see that. The idea that dream being so different from divination in a way, I mean, in the sense that the divination of Hode is reading symbols and dealing with language, whereas the, you know, the prophecy associated with Netzach is trance work, really, you know, mm-hmm. receiving visions, ecstasies, uh, things that you can't control or articulate. Yeah, you definitely can't control your dreams very easily. <laughs> That's for sure. <laughs> All right. Um, let's see. Shall we start looking at cards? Do you want yeah, to talk why not? Or what about color scales? Should we do that? Oh, colors. Yeah, we can mention the colors. So um, amber Mm -hmm. is the king scale color. Uh, Emerald green is the queen scale color. Bright yellow green is the prince scale color. And olive flecked gold is the princess scale or empress scale color. Yeah, they're beautiful. They're mostly greens with some golds. The colors of nature, you know, the colors of of sun Mm -hmm. and growth. Um. Yeah, what you'd expect to see if you walk outside when things are growing. Yeah. Yeah. And the emerald in particular is interested, the briatic or queen scale color, because that's if you combine the blue of Chesed with the yellow of Tiferet, mm-hmm. then you get the green. Whereas if yep. you take the red of Givorah and combine it with the yellow of Tiferet, then you get the orange of Hode. And that's yeah, and those, those are the colors. Two, since, yeah, those are the two spheres that are feeding into Netzach. So it makes sense that the colors would combine in that way. Exactly. And then we'll see with Yasod, it's the combination of Givora and Chesed. The red and the blue create purple. So once again, those those three spheres, Netzach, Hod, and Yasod, are tied together because they're the secondary colors. Right. Yeah. Exactly. So yeah, the seven, eight, and nine are all the secondary colors where before we were dealing with primaries. Right. Blue, red, and yellow for Chesed, Givora, and uh, Tiferet. So chariot and tower. Yeah. It makes me think of wrathful goddesses or maternal and wrathful, you know? (laughs) When you look at the chariot and the tower and Rider Waite Smith, you can kind of see those themes of four and three going on. I mean, you have the four of the chariot's breastplate with the square on it. And then 
the three of the three figures in it. And then the, the tower itself is basically a cube of matter. It's a, <laughs> it's a, it's a fourfold structure, but with the three windows in it. And each of these has qualities, and you see it in Thoth as well, qualities of motion and movement, which we've kind of talked about as being a seven quality. Things well, are changing. quality, actually. Oh, that too. <laughs> but in the sense that like, Mars. it's that six plus one moving away from balance kind of a thing, taking one step away from balance. Or, you know, think of the seven, we talked about the four is a stability and the three is motion. What happens when you put them together? The tension that arises from that. I mean, six and the one can also be val. It's 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 interesting because it can be either. It can be a step mm-hmm. away from balance, or it can be you know the sun in the center with the planets yes. around it, like the that um another seven letter word actually uh, Ararita the the formula mm-hmm. has yeah. the um the planets around the the central sun. You know, it's funny we've talked about. I was just thinking about that because about the whole movement thing, because we've talked about threes as movement, fives as movement, and now sevens as movement. It's sort of like every odd number has that quality, even yeah, though that's true. You know, the thing about the chariot is that there's motion and stillness combined in it, really. Mm-hmm. You know, in, in every version of the chariot, because it's in some ways the, the vehicle is an internal journey, uh, as in, the idea of Merkaba mysticism, which we talked about, I think, in the chariot episode. The vehicle, although we use it mundanely to represent movement and cars and getting places, it's also that internal journey, that internal quest for the grail, that internal mission which you're charged with. It's also like interesting that both the chariot and the tower, obviously the tower, have mm-hmm. a lot to do with Mars, um, either by yeah. their by their uh, attributions or their placement on the tree. Whereas this, you know, they're also associated with seven Venus. So there's this, I don't know, there's this interesting relationship here about how the sevens are victory and then these, these very martial forces. So the chariot's placement on the tree, what you're talking about is that relationship between Givora and Bina. So it does connect between Saturn and Mars. On the other hand, it's Cancer where Mars has fallen. Yeah. So there's that sort of tension between Mars triumphant and Mars struggling. Oh, and also, you know, the tower, it's fascinating to me because we've talked about the tower as that path, which intersects with the path of temperance or art. And that at the intersection is where you're supposed to be speaking your lesser banishing ritual of the pentagram, mm-hmm. uh, because, you know, the, the tower is pay the, uh, the mouth. And think about what you're doing there. You're, you're basically banishing from connection with things you don't want connected to you. And you're, and you're standing in this place that's right balanced between Netzach and Hod, between, you know, the emotions and the reason. You know, it just seems like a, place where you know you're dealing with the kind of explosive force of Netzach the getting the irrational force and then the the side of Hode trying to articulate and rationalize that and somewhere in between that that tension creates the tower experience um in terms of uh other majors that are connected to Netzach. Yeah. Yeah. So, so we, you were talking about paths into and paths out of Netzach earlier. 
Right. So coming into, we have Netzach, we have death coming from Tefera and the wheel coming from Hesed, which, you know, that's like death being a part of love and life and change being a part of love and life, you mm. know? Particularly the death one, which is that combination of six plus seven and really embodies the difference between them. Yeah, Crowley somewhere in, um, I don't know if it was in Book of Thoth, I think so, he go he makes a big deal about the connection between Netzach and the life and the and love and the idea of death. He actually has this one section that he points out one, two, three, four, five different essays in the Book of Lies, all which reference the connection between love and death. Which were really interesting. So it was, it was number one, eight, fifteen, sixteen, and uh, eighteen. So basically, the magus mm -hmm. uh, adjustment, the devil, the tower, and the moon all have sections in the Book of Lies where it really references this connection between the idea of death being a part of love and life. Yeah, for love to be continuous, for life to be continuous, there has to be the cycle of death that kind of dances in tandem with it. Right, yeah, the wheel. <laughs> mm -hmm. exactly. exactly. So those are the things feeding in to Netzach, mm -hmm. and then what's coming out of it, we have the tower, as we've talked about, heading mm -hmm. towards Hode. And we have, well, depending <laughs> on... Depending on your system. We have either the emperor um, in Thoth-based or the uh, star going into Isode. And I was thinking of that as well. If it's the emperor or the star, either way, it's a form of like structure or ideals that you have to apply to your artistic inspirations mm -hmm. you know and then the moon is uh the card that connects netzach to malkuth and that's really interesting because of the you know the whole glamour and imagination thing i see that as well i mean i kind of think of those five cards coming into and out of netzach as all versions of going beyond your boundaries of your what quote unquote normal self, like, especially if you think about glamour in the moon as kind of going beyond reality, going between those pillars to something beyond. And if you think of um, the star or the emperor, you know, the star allows you to aspire beyond your place. And the, uh, the emperor kind of represents the authority that gives you something that's greater than yourself to work for or fight for. It's the, also striking how three, mm -hmm. I mean, if you use the emperor anyway, three of those majors are Marshall. So mm -hmm, we have Scorpio ruled by Mars, we have Mars itself, and we have Aries ruled by Mars. Yeah, yeah. To, to Venus. Yeah, and they all have that sort of weird relationship to the ego where the emperor kind of represents the ego given agency and power, but the tower is the destruction <laughs> Of the right. ego, and the death card is kind of surrendering Letting go up. of the ego. Yeah. <laughs> right. yeah, yeah, yeah. And each of those, you know, is a negotiation going beyond the ego in some way. Um, and the, whereas the wheel of fortune, in terms of the ego or the self and what what it seeks, is kind of looking looking above, looking up to the divine for assistance, for mercy, for uh, that which you can't 
provide for yourself. So you look to Providence to provide it for you. And then the other two cards, you know, fortune that, that aren't the martial ones, fortune uh-huh. and the moon, you know, the moon as Pisces, that's ruled by Jupiter. Yeah. The fortune card. So we have like two very kind of Jupiter, the other, the greater mm-hmm. fortune aspects of, of that. And then we have, you know, martial stuff coming out the other end. Yeah, coming out the other end, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, on the pillar of force, the, the positive experiences are represented from Netzach as the fortune in the moon cards, whereas the more stressful experiences could be represented. I don't know if I'd call the moon ones. card all that positive. <laughs> well, yes, I'm, I was sort of thinking about this because I just recently, as you might expect, the Wheel of Fortune and Pisces Nine of Cups um, post. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking if you combine those together, mm-hmm. you get that aspect of the moon, which governs fortune. Well, and you know, what's mm-hmm. really interesting about the moon card in relationship to the sevens is that, you know, we talked about sevens as desires, but they're also, they also have a lot to do with, I guess you would call it group consciousness. Mm-hmm. And the moon card is kind of like that too, I think. Yeah, certainly the collective unconscious is in there right yeah there's a connection there for Mm -hmm. sure like and the sevens are instinct and where does instinct come from but from the subconscious right and the dogs of the moon are you know right there right representing our animal instincts all right um should we look at minors yep i'm gonna read a little bit of uh crowley i guess where he says that um He talks about sevens as being doubly unbalanced, a frantic struggle, a descent into illusion. He talks about Venus as being uh, her greatest crisis as being lost from her heavenly origin. Uh, So Venus as Right, so that's like the difference between Venus as Netzach and Venus as the Empress, which is, you know, up there with the Supernals. Yeah, and he talks about it as being the degeneration of the element in each of these four, uh, and its utmost weakness. And I think, you know, you know, even when you think about the sevens as a contrast to the five, they have that quality of, oh my God, I've just left the six and what am I going to do? Yeah, know, now right. things are all screwed up. <laughs> but at the same time, Gotta get kind back to that harmony and balance (laughs) (laughs) but i think also you know kind of in the way that chesed you know is the uh represents the loss of the the bliss of the supernals and the perfection of the supernals but it's the source for everything else the seven i think represents the loss of the six but also the ability of the self to fend for itself um, mm-hmm. to do things individually, to seek, to gain skills. So there is a positive side to sevens in that sense. Remember where I got this quote, but maybe Wang, I'm not sure, but it said uh, for the sevens, it said, and this this kind of reminds me of that other thing about the flaming sword, but uh-huh. it called the seven a force like unto a crown, powerful but requiring one capable of wearing it, results mm. dependent on action taken. That sounds familiar. I can't remember where it's from. Could be Wang. Yeah. But if Could be we, Wang. Yeah. If we um, think about both that, like grasping the sword by the hilt idea or being capable of wearing this force and results dependent on actions taking, it really, when you look at these four seven cards, they are all dependent, getting out of the quagmire or whatever mm-hmm. is going on in these cards, all are like that. You You have to take 
action individual action towards in you know to fight these defects and achieve victory it's dependent Mm -hmm. on what actions you take whether you're going to succeed or not yeah that's true i mean if you look at the seven of wands both in thoth and rider weight you know you see it's that six against one kind of formula where there are six that are alike and one that is different, attacking the one. And in the case, I think, of Thoth, he says that patriotism is not enough. So there's that 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 club in the center, that brutish sort of rough club in the center represents the need to push beyond high principle, I think. And, right, and it's know, interesting in terms courage. of the ruler of the Deccan for the Seven of Wands is Mars. Right. So this this struggle is a battle of, you know, will. That's what I would call it. In Rider Wade Smith, he says that, you know, he talks about, again, that same struggle, but he says that the Seven of Wands figure has the vantage. He has the high point. So it suggests that success or victory is going to come after a struggle. Uh, it's also, most people say that this figure is probably Petruchio from Taming of the Shrew, which we talk about in some detail in the Seven of Wands. But the idea that, you know, someone who is an outsider, who's got mismatched shoes, <laughs> who's kind of a hot mess, it takes that kind of thinking outside of the box to achieve victory in these circumstances. Thing. Yeah, and then the, I would yeah. I would say thinking outside of the box is more the seven of swords, mm. but um, mm. but it's yeah. a seven quality generally. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, one of the things that Curly says is that the seven of swords is incapable of sustained labor, but on the other hand, it's not going to be confined by its expectations. So this is. What does he call it? The rheumatic boxer <laughs> trying to stage yeah. a comeback. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. it points yeah. back to the Deccan ruler of the moon and it's, you mm-hmm. know, inherent fluctuation and in, in supposed instability. And supposed instability. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, Wade also says it's a plan that may fail. One thing about that seven of swords that we see is that there is a restlessness, but also a, willingness to kind of try anything <laughs> you know may right. not work but but right. let's give it a try you know with the seven of cups this is interesting Wade calls it the glass of contemplation so that's a venus mirror type thing right yeah, yeah. and venus is the ruler of that decan so that this is exactly. like the most important seven in in one sense right it's a cabalistic double like all the yep. other scorpio cards because it's seven as netzach but also venus as ruler yeah, images of fantastic spirit is what Waite says, while Crowley says it's a false pleasure, or uh, he says earth churned into a into the scorpion morass. <laughs> because it's Lovely. you know doubly Venus, and it's mm-hmm. a, a you know a, a defect. I think of it as a defect of desire. You're seeing what you want mm-hmm. to see, or yeah. Yeah, 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 like we talked about, or. And yet, I think that fault, that flaw or vice is necessary in order to get to the truth in art, right? Because the truth in art is a fictional truth, but it's a truth nonetheless. Mm -hmm. So I feel as though that's part of the secret of sevens, that the truth is in there. It's just hidden and warped. Yes. Yeah. Sure. And then the the (laughs) Lord of of Failure. Yay! (laughs) The labor itself is abandoned, 
says Crowley, the extreme of passivity because it's Saturn, right? It's right. super slow. Saturn in Taurus, uh, Saturn in this earth sign. Wade says something weird about this, which is like, these were his treasure. He look, he's looking at the pentacles as if these were his treasures and his heart was there. So that kind of speaks to the desire nature of mm-hmm. the seven. But, you know, it's almost as if they're his treasures, but he doesn't know what's going on with them. And I, my experience of that card has been that it always involves slowdowns, just slowdowns and delays and things being. Yeah. Held up. The action of Saturn applied to the material world where we're supposed yeah. to take action isn't always helpful or definitely not lend, lending itself towards any type of speed. Yeah. And so it's sort of like, there's always a question with the seven of you can take action. Is it the wisest course though? <laughs> yeah. Know? And with the seven of pentacles, I think although action may be called for, there's also a quality of, well, you should also be patient because otherwise you may not find the right way to act and you may regret it. Mm. And also the fact that all of these cards are shadow decans um, of the Niter King. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, it is. So shadow decan, last of the um, fixed signs, but the court card that they belong to is the mutable court, the knights or kings. So their motivation or their point of weakness has to do with the fact that they know that uh, the seven, that experience of the seven of trying and failing of desire and suffering from desire is part of that, you know, shadow nature of the knight or king. Mm-hmm. And what part of what in his central decan, the eight he tries to, you know, at his best, he has a system. He has an order. He right. has a, yeah. you know, he has a plan. <laughs> <laughs> Which yeah. I guess we'll, we'll get to when we get to the eight. All right. What else have we got here? That might be, uh, <laughs> that might yeah, be that's, that's a lot. Yeah. I do have, I do have one more thing that maybe we could end with that I thought was really good. So well, okay. actually two things. All right. So, one is just a reflection that, you know, seven is associated with Venus, that's love. And then there's Crowley's famous seven words, love is the law, love under will. Mm-hmm. And then this really striking quote that is so appropriate for our times right now, it's from the uh, great law of the Iroquois Confederacy. That is, uh, in our every deliberation, we must consider the impact of our decisions on the next seven generations. Oh, wow. That's great. Yeah. And also, you know, kind of at this moment, I've been thinking about, we're all thinking about, which is the coronavirus crisis and how, in a way, you know, consciousness, group consciousness, but also kind of a system failure in a way, (laughs) you know, but, but it's the one of my colleagues this is to be defeated you know we're seeing the weaknesses in our collective systems that's right but also one of my colleagues described it as the revenge of ecology you know the idea that nature is having the last word here nature is saying okay you destroy my planet i will make it so you can't travel (laughs) it's not nice to mess with mother nature that's right i will protect the young people they won't get sick (laughs) 
<laughs> but, you know, all of you who are abusing me, you know, this is going to be the price you pay. I don't know. There's sort of, there's definitely something in here about the peril and danger and corrective action of seven uh, that we're all experiencing, alas, at some level. Also the hysteria, I have to say. <laughs> well, we're going to, in the next episode, we'll move on to the eights, and those are the plans, and those are the corrections to the mm-hmm. um, to the defects or the remedies to the seven. So right. <laughs> let's hopefully we get there collectively as well. The infrastructural remedies of the eight. Um, yeah, so some of the, just to wrap up some of the themes we've talked about, we've talked about seven as emotions, as inspirations. As desire and... Uh, Feelings and awakening delight in creation. Creativity and artistic endeavors. Eternity, the strength of the individual. The four and the three. The six and the one. (laughs) (laughs) You don't hear so much about the five and the two, though, which is weird. The virtue of uh, unselfishness. Visions of beauty. Fiery sword. Fiery sword. Flaming sword of creation. The armies and hosts. Plurality of consciousness. Yeah. Results dependent on actions taken. That sounds good. Yeah. I think that wraps it up. All right. So um, so thanks for sticking with us in this trying time, everybody. And we will be back with you next time with the systems and infrastructure of the eight. See you then. And that's our episode for this week. If you love Fortune's Wheelhouse, and really, who doesn't, you may want to pick up the book version of the podcast. It's called Tarot Deciphered, Decoding Esoteric Symbolism in Modern Tarot, and it's available both online and in bookstores. In Tarot Deciphered, you can find just about everything we talk about in the podcast. Well, almost everything. There aren't quite so many dick jokes. And it's over 600 pages, so when you're not reading it, you can use it as a doorstop, or a paperweight, or a flower press. Whatever floats your boat. If you'd like to connect with over a thousand smart, nice, and most importantly, like-minded friends on social media, you can visit the Fortune's Wheelhouse Academy group on Facebook, which is open to all. Many of us, including myself, are there every day posting our daily draws and spells to go with them, and it's a great place to see esoteric tarot in action. Fortune's Wheelhouse has a red bubble shop where you can load up on Fortune's Wheelhouse merch, including coffee mugs, t-shirts, and notebooks printed with all the astrological correspondences of the minor arcana, because we are nerds. That is at redbubble.com slash people slash wheelhouse 93 slash shop. Mel's main store, where you can read her articles and subscribe to her newsletter, is at tarotcart.com. Her auction site, which has periodic offerings of -of out-of-print items, one-of-a-kind items, art prints, and original art, is at tarotcart.auction. And her website for new work and updates on her projects is, as always, tabulamundi.com. You can find me at tsusanchang.com, where you can find links to my classes, sign up for a reading or mentorship session, and learn about my upcoming events. And if you're interested in my custom arcana cases and silken brocade for your decks, and my customized astrological perfumes, you can find those at etsy.com slash shop slash tarotista. 
You can also get talismanic Eight of Wands keychains and luggage tags there because everybody needs those. So come visit us online and pick up something wonderful for a tarot-loving friend or just for yourself because you are a hero of the astral plane and we so appreciate your support. Thank you.